Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. My family's all musical. My kids really inherited their musical ability from their mom, who's just has great natural music ability. I have some musical ability, but I had to work for mine, so it's a difference there. And our oldest daughter, they're all three great musicians, our oldest daughter teaches music professionally at a college. She studied music in college. And one time she had the lead in a musical that's usually done around Christmas time called A Mall and the Night Visitors. And it's an older musical. It's about the wise men coming to present their gifts to Jesus. And they stop at this house where there's a little boy who's lame, has to walk with a crutch, but he's got some special gifts in a box that when he hears about Jesus, he wants to give those to baby Jesus. Well, our daughter got to play that role in college because it's a very hard role singing wise. And generally, the boy in the show is around eight, nine, ten years old. Generally, it's done by a smaller woman with a very advanced voice. So she played the role. And one of the songs in it is, this is my box. This is my box. So that became a saying around our house for a long time. Anytime we'd be doing something with a box here or there, you know, we'd kind of smile and look at each other and say, this is my box. Another box story. Back 35 years ago, 30 years ago, I guess it was, however long it was, I was between times of being gainfully employed. And I wanted to start a new business. This was actually in 1980, so it was 40 years ago. I wanted to start a new business that was going to cost me about $2,000, which is certainly not much money today. It was then, though. And I didn't have the $2,000. Well, a guy called me on the phone who I barely knew and said, hey, Paul, I'm starting a new business in Lawrence, a baseball card business with rare baseball cards, and I understand you have a collection of them. Well, I did have some baseball cards in a shoebox in my basement, and I didn't even know that anybody knew I had them. Turned out somebody who'd come to do some work in our basement to fix a leak or something saw those and told his friend about them who came to me and said, I'd like to buy your baseball cards. Well, I hadn't even looked at them for years. I did know that they were of some value. I had a first edition, first year Mickey Mantle card, and I had a couple of first year, first edition Willie Mays cards, and some others of people back in the 1950, 51, 52, 53, who later became you know, household names and the Hall of Famers. So I knew they were worth something, but I didn't know how much. So I said, yeah, come over and take a look at them. Well, he came over and uh, he said, well, how much do you want for them? And I said, $2,000. And he said, okay. And he 
opened up his billfold, peeled out twenty hundred dollar bills, gave them to me. He was happy. I was happy. I started my business. And for years, I told that story about how look at how God provided for me in a way that I would never imagine. He provided that money, the exact amount that I needed from something that I didn't even have any idea that I could get money from that. Well, that's a nice story, but the Lord has shown me lately, you could have asked for a lot more. They were worth a lot more, and he would have paid a lot more. See, that was my box, not only of baseball cards, that was my God box. And my God box idea was that, well, maybe God could provide $2,000, so that's what I'll ask for. What kind of boxes do we put God in today, thinking maybe he can provide this, so that's all I'm going to ask for. Now, I'm not going to give you a name-it-and-claim-it prosperity-type message. That's not my intent here. My intent is to show you, don't put God in a box. He's capable of providing exceedingly abundantly way more than we could ever imagine. Now, to illustrate that, I want to look at a story, a very well-known story. You'll recognize at least some of this. It's from John chapter 5, verse 1 to 18. I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation with a couple of things from the uh, Mirror Bible. All right, John 5, 1. Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Aramaic, the House of Loving Kindness. And this pool is surrounded by five covered porches. Hundreds, remember that, hundreds of sick people were lying there on the porches, the paralyzed, the blind, and the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of God would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters, and the first one who stepped into the pool after the water swirled would instantly be healed. Now, there was a man who'd been disabled for 38 years lying among the multitude of the sick. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. So he said to him, do you truly long to be healed? Now, the mirror says it this way. Are you convinced that you are already made whole? And Francois Dutoit goes on to explain the Greek. He says the Greek phrase, genesthei, is not actually a future tense, as in do you want to be healed, but it's an aortist middle infinitive that indicates something already accomplished. Jesus is asking the crippled man if he is ready to abandon how he sees himself and now receive the faith from Jesus for his healing. The sick man answered him, Sir, there's no way I can get healed, for I have no one who will lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Stand up! Pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. Immediately, he stood up. He was healed. So, he rolled up his mat and walked again. Now, this miracle took place on the Jewish Sabbath. When a Jewish leader saw the man walking along, carrying his sleeping mat, they were overjoyed. They said, wow, look at what God has done. Ah, uh, no. When they saw him, they objected and said, what are you doing 
carrying that. Don't you know it's the Sabbath? It's not lawful for you to carry things on the Sabbath. Neither was it lawful to heal, according to them. He answered them, the man who healed me told me to pick it up and walk. What man, they asked him, who was this man that ordered you to carry something on the Sabbath? breaking their rules. But the healed man couldn't give him an answer, for he didn't yet know who it was since Jesus had already slipped away into the crowd. Short time later, Jesus found the man in the temple and said to him, look at you now, you're healed. Now get this line and remember it. It's very important that we're going to come back to it. He said, walk away from your sin so that nothing worse will happen to you. Now that you can walk, walk away from your sin so that nothing worse will happen to you. What was his sin? We're going to see. Then the man went to the Jewish leaders to inform them. He was thinking, they'll be happy because this guy can heal. It was Jesus who healed me. So from that day forward, the Jewish leaders began to persecute Jesus because of things he did on the Sabbath. Now, the translator of the uh, Passion Translation, Brian Simmons, says, Jesus did not break the Sabbath. He loosed it. That's what the literal Aramaic says. He loosed it from the bondage of tradition and man-made rules. The Mirror Version says, the leaders were furious and immediately began to make plans to murder him, which, of course, they eventually did. Francois says, their interpretation of a holy day the Sabbath, their interpretation of it was deeply offended. Jesus replied, verse 17, my father is working until now, and so am I. Jesus was speaking, Francois says, about a different Sabbath, just like John reminds us in chapter 2 that he had a different temple in mind, one that he would rebuild in three days. And in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, he points to a different birth, not his mother's womb, but our joint Genesis from above. Then the Samaritan woman in John 4 discovers a different well, one that burst from within. So here in chapter 5, Jesus sees a different Sabbath. The Sabbath of God points to his perfect work of both revealing and redeeming the perfection of our Father's work. So when Jesus heals people on the Sabbath, he's not contradicting it, but endorsing it. Jesus is what the Sabbath is all about. He's the substance, Francois says, of every prophetic shadow. And Jesus, of course, continues to invite us into his Sabbath rest, where we rest from our own efforts to gain and maintain a right relationship with God. That's what religion is, our own efforts to gain and maintain a right relationship with God. God's rest on the seventh day in the creation account celebrated his finished work. Now, whoever enters into God's rest immediately abandons his own efforts to complement what God has already perfected. The language of the law is do. The language of grace is D-O-N-E, done. Now, I want you to think about this situation from that story in John 5. Hundreds, the text says, of sick people were lying there on the porches. There were paralyzed people, there were blind people, and there were crippled people. All of them were, now, get this phrase here, all of them were waiting for their healing, for an angel of God would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters, and the first one who stepped into the pool after the water swirled would instantly be healed. 
Well, we're learning, most all of us, and maybe you're just starting on this journey, we're learning not to just do a flat reading of the words in a book, but to have our minds open to the Holy Spirit of Christ so we can learn what she wants us to know from what we read. You can actually Google images of the pool. They found it now. They've uncovered different parts of Jerusalem, the old temple. The pool was at the bottom of a place where rocks had been cut out to make a large, steep bleacher-like setting around it. You know, picture like a basketball stadium with or a football field with the seats going up and up and up. Well, there was a big rock place there that had been hewn out for, like, seats, rows and rows and rows of seats just on one side of it. The pool was at the bottom, and then there was kind of a sheer cliff-type thing on the other side. So there were just row after row after row of where people could sit, or most of them would lay down on a mat because they were crippled or because they were paralyzed. I talked to the Holy Spirit about that passage this week. Before I started researching anything, I wanted to hear what the Holy Spirit wanted me to hear. So I said this. I said, Holy Spirit, if there were hundreds of paralyzed, blind, and crippled people waiting around the pool, they couldn't all get right next to the pool, right? I mean, it would be like getting off a plane with 500 people on it at the airport, going to the baggage carousel, and everybody's swarming around that, waiting for the bag to come out of the chute, looking at yours. Well, there could only be certain amount of people that were right up next to where they could pick it up, there would be rows and rows of people waiting, looking, trying to see if they could get up there. Except the blind couldn't see, and the paralyzed, they couldn't move to get to the water, and the crippled, at best, especially if they were crippled in their legs, I mean, they'd have to crawl to get there. It would take them a while to get there. So common sense would say it just ain't going to happen. And, of course, it hadn't happened for this one guy for 38 years. So I'm saying this to the Holy Spirit, and I said, you know, it seems to me like this whole deal is an old covenant if-then deal. Like, if the angel comes, if you get there first by your own effort, then you are the only one who gets healed. Nobody else does. And it's because you were resourceful, maybe even by pushing other people out of the way to get there first. And think about this. If a bunch of blind and paralyzed and crippled people suddenly rushed the pool, even if the first one there did get healed, what else would be true? The pool would be full of blind, paralyzed, and crippled people, all thrashing around, trying to get out and not drown, and they're not able to help each other. So I'm giving my thoughts on this to the Holy Spirit, and I said, is that the way God works? And she gently said, no, Paul, thanks for asking. And here's what she told me. She said, Jesus definitely healed the man. That part of the story is true. But the angel showing up, stirring the water, and the first one in, that was a myth. The waters did have healing properties, like at Hot Springs, Arkansas, places like that today, certain healing properties. But the angel story was a religious myth. That myth was perpetuated during the Old Covenant law period, the if-then time. People's mindsets were darkened at that time because none of them knew the only true God, Jesus, and Jesus' Papa. They had a totally incorrect understanding of what God was like and is like. 
When Jesus said, walk away from your sin so nothing worse will happen to you, the Holy Spirit said to me, Paul, his sin was missing the mark of our goodness and grace, thinking that God was an if-then deity. And Jesus healed him and said, walk away from that. Walk away from that sin of unbelief in God, thinking that God is an if-then deity, and believe the truth. God is good, and God loves and heals and gives grace simply because that's who he is, not because of anything we do. I said, thank you, Holy Spirit. And then I did what I normally do, not saying that I have to do this, kind of just the way I'm wired. I went and did some research online to be able to, not to verify what the Holy Spirit said to me, but to be able to have an understanding from history and from church history that I could tell you all about. So there's less question that, well, I'm just hearing what I want to hear from God. So here's what you find when you research that pool of Bethsaida. It's it's spelled different uh, ways in different versions. There's no evidence in history of an angel ever coming to stir the waters or anyone being healed by that. No evidence. Now, people thought that, but there's no evidence of it. It was a myth. There are many different legends you find out about. Some say the water was stirred once a year. Some say not nearly as often as that. Someday the water was stirred a little bit every day. But there were no documented reports of the stirring or of miraculous healing. In fact, those words that I read to you about people waiting to be healed and waiting for an angel who would come and stir the waters— are not even in the oldest Greek manuscripts. They were inserted later. Several translations today totally omit them or put them in italics and have footnotes saying they weren't in the oldest text. Now, why is it important to know that? Well, because that's not the way God works. God has never been in that kind of a box. Jesus came himself to stir living waters of unconditional love, grace, and healing from inside of us. Jesus healed us so we can walk away from that false mindset of thinking that God is an if-then God. That mindset Jesus did away with in his finished work at the cross. And we were all made new creations when we rose from the dead with Jesus. All right. Also, if you look online, you'll find many people say that religious officials probably made up the story of the angel in the water stirring and healing just to get a bunch of blind, paralyzed, and crippled people out of their way, out of the public eye, and all in one place, out of sight, out of mind. To top that off, the religious leaders who made up all these laws, like not healing on the Sabbath and not carrying your sleeping mat on the Sabbath, they didn't give a rip about the man who was crippled or his healing. All they could focus on was being offended that somebody broke their rules, even by healing someone who'd been crippled for 38 years. And worse, they taught that their version of God was also offended because people broke their rules. They all put God in their little box. The paralytic 
put God in a box, thinking the only way he could get healed was if he got there first, but of course he couldn't get there. The religious leaders put themselves in the place of God, in their own God box, and they judged and condemned and shamed and hated people who broke their rules. They were all putting God in a box. The story is about grace, of course, not the if-then law system. It's not compatible with the new covenant of grace. It's about Jesus, God, loving, giving grace, blessing, and healing because that's who he is and that's the way he is. Not because of any one of us winning the healing pool jackpot by our efforts. It's about Jesus' compassion and love and ability to heal. So here's my question. I've got three or four questions. Here's a question for myself and for you. Where do we put God in a box regarding blessings we think we can't receive? Where do we do that? Are there areas that we think, well, God could maybe do this much for me, so I I don't want to ask for any more than that. You know, I mean, he's busy, and he's got a lot of things to do to keep the planet spinning and all of that, and, you know, his grace is limited. I, I don't want to ask for too much. Where do we do that? I think we all do. It's just a matter of introspectively looking and letting the Holy Spirit of Christ show us, well, here's one way, here's another, here's another. Here's another question for us. What boxes do we have saying, God only works this way? I can think of some religious boxes that I had a storeroom full of for many years, like God only saves you if you say the right prayer in the right way. Jesus only comes into your heart if you ask him to come into your heart. Things like that. God only hears your prayer if you've confessed all of your sins and have no outstanding sin before it. All of those things, those are putting God in a box and limiting God. Now, there's another question. What things do we judge people about by thinking they are breaking rules that we think are God's rules, like healing somebody on the Sabbath. Well, most of us wouldn't say that today. There are some very fundamentalist religious sects that would say that, but most of us wouldn't. I mean, we go to the clinics on Sunday if we're sick. We'll go to the emergency room or whatever, you know. What are some things, though, that we think that we judge people about because we think they are breaking God's rules? Here's a simple one. I was part of a church for a while, I was actually on staff there, that thought God had rules that you couldn't drink alcohol, you couldn't smoke, and you couldn't gamble. And they also had a rule that you had to sign this statement to be a member of the church there. And of course, if you were on staff, you absolutely had to do that. You had to say, I won't smoke, I won't drink, I won't gamble, and I won't work at an establishment that sells liquor, tobacco products, or lottery tickets. Because I would be breaking God's rules, I would be sinning, and in that particular denomination, I would lose my salvation if I did that. Now, that's a pretty harsh example. There are still denominations with rules like that today. But there are lesser things. Now, I, I, I don't want to bring up any more. What I'm doing myself these days and what I want to encourage you to do is to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, are there things where I'm judging people 
by thinking that they're breaking God's rules when, in effect, they're breaking rules that I have personally set up or that my denomination has set up or my church or my family has set up? Are we putting God in a box, in our box of our own creation and saying, this is the way God is? God won't bless if you don't do this. He only works this way, and you can't break these rules. Those are all in my God box. God doesn't have a box. No box. This might be our box. This is my box, but it ain't God's box. Now, Jesus has healed us all already from all of our unbelief. What he wants us to do is to walk away from that unbelief. Accept his healing. Expect that you are already healed in whatever way that it is. Now, I'm not saying that there's a magic formula to getting God to heal you physically. I am saying that we are already healed in every way. And as we believe that, we will be in the process of seeing all of that healing manifest itself in time and space, whether it's on this side of the time when we take our last breath or on the other side. But we don't have to wait for most of that. There are all kinds of things that we've already been made whole about. We've been made whole in our relationship with God, which is the most miraculous thing of all, the most exciting thing of all, and the greatest thing of all. We are whole. We are right with God. We are pure, holy, without fault. We are right with God. We're whole in our relationship with God. Most people don't know that. Jesus is the Savior of the entire world, especially of those who believe, because those of us who believe, we see that. And we experience it, and we enjoy it, and we get to live it out. God's grace is for everyone. Everyone has been made whole, and we get to partner with God in telling other people the good news of what who God is and what God has already done for them. Hope this has been helpful, everybody. Appreciate you watching and listening. See you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.